For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey everybody, Jacob here, uh, the Daniel 3 Podcast. Uh, so, a little bit of an intro for this episode. Um, this episode, I invited Carrie Baldwin back to the show. I had Carrie back um, on the podcast maybe in twenty late late twenty twenty, I think. So it's been it's been about a year. She was on pretty early. I think it was episode seven. Um, so if you're newer to this podcast and you haven't listened to that episode yet, I really highly recommend listening to that episode, as well as listening to my conversations with Greg Baus, um, which is I think uh, episode. Uh, and then also, I, I should have written this down, but it's it, you know if you search them, you should be able to find them. Uh, I did two conversations with Baus, one last year and one within the past couple months. Um, but there's a lot in this conversation that uh, touches on the the concept of sphere sovereignty, which is something that I've had Gary and um, oh my god, I just combined their names into Gary. <laughs> I'm not going to edit that out. That's hilarious. Um, no, I, it's the, the, the concept of sphere sovereignty is something I've had Carrie on as well as Greg on to talk about and unfolding these, uh, the philosophy of kind of reformed anarchism. Um, those of us who, um, profess to be reformed in a confessional sense. So, um, I definitely recommend watching those episodes if you haven't, um, I mean, you don't have to, but I think you'll get more out of this conversation if you do. We talked a lot about uh, the sphere of the family and the sphere of the church and where there are patterns of abuse and improper um, understanding of the hierarchy of relationships and the roles of those relationships and what submitting to one another looks like uh, within marriage and how this, uh, how, how this error that the church has made... Um, leads to a lot of problems in the culture and you can kind of draw a line from the abuses in the church to the abuses of the state as well as sort of like the demand for uh the state in the culture is somewhat reflective of a uh the absence of the church in the culture um and it's my belief that the demand and this is sort of like me and I'm going to talk to Andrew from Popular Liberty about this actually um, soon that's coming up next episode uh, but uh, you know the idea of archotropism and sort of like the um, conservation of power and the demand uh, and time preference for power I feel like part of what leads people to um, have a time preference and a demand for the state to create order is that the church is not um, taking its proper role in society to create that order um, in the way that Christ has called us to do, to do so. So, um, yeah, so definitely, um, you know, I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's These are topics that have been on my mind a lot, and um, I was really happy to uh, get, get, you know, have the conversation with her, Gary's uh, really good at diving deep into philosophy and, uh, you know, proper exegesis of scripture, uh, challenging paradigms is kind of her thing. And 
this conversation was as much about me learning as I hope it is about you guys learning because um, I don't pretend to have all the answers, but this part of this podcast is, um, you know, you guys kind of joining me along for the ride in trying to untangle all these webs uh, so that we can get closer to the truth and get closer to uh, engaging the world in the way that Christ wants us to. Um, Also, before uh, I let you go uh, into the actual conversation, I have just started a Patreon, and if any of you are so inclined, I am looking for patrons. Um, I'm not looking to you know, get super rich off of this or anything or do podcasting full time. But I've hit the point where I'm realizing that, um, you know, I'm not gonna be able to grow this project past a certain point without some sort of money flow. Um, And I I hope to use the money that comes in to uh, make the project more successful. Um, And and to give me at most to give me the financial wiggle room to do this to, to do this more. Um, and, and to create a better product for you guys. So if that's something you're interested in, in doing and becoming a patron, uh, it's patreon.com slash biblical anarchy. Uh, you know, select the tier you want. The, the lowest tier, if you want to join, it's just five bucks. You know, and every little bit helps me to be able to keep producing uh, the high-quality content that I want to give you guys. So that's it. Uh, with that out of the way, here is my conversation with Carrie Baldwin. Good evening, everybody. Uh, Jacob Daniel here. This is the Daniel 3 Podcast. Uh, Thanks for joining us tonight. Um, Tonight, I'm excited to um, talk to our guest. It is Carrie Baldwin. Uh, She is a um, contributor at the Libertarian Christian Institute, as well as she runs her own page um, called Mere Christianity um, and has a lot of uh, cool stuff. She's been on the podcast before, and she's coming back uh, tonight to talk about some new topics. So I'm going to bring her up right now. Uh, Carrie, how are you doing tonight? Pretty good. Um, I just want to make a slight correction. My, uh, my webpage. Yeah. My webpage is called Mere Liberty. Mere Liberty. Yeah. Which is a throwback (laughs) to Mere Christianity. So it's not entirely off base, but. Right. um, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks for that correction. That would have been a little misleading. (laughs) It's okay. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. So um, um, I feel like, you know, you're pretty popular in our spaces and I feel like I can't imagine anyone who watches my show isn't familiar with you, but maybe for those who who aren't, maybe just a little bit of an introduction for yourself before we get started and uh, maybe your background and the things that you do. Sure. So um, I, uh, well, as you mentioned, I have my own website, mereliberty.com, and I'm a contributor at the Libertarian Christian Institute. Um, I'm an independent researcher with a degree in philosophy, um, and uh, the whole theme of my own work is to challenge and rethink paradigms in politics, religion, and culture. So a lot of my uh, work is uh, based on libertarian philosophy, 
It's also based in um, some reformational philosophy um, and reformed theology, reformed Christian theology. And so my topics, at least as far as mere liberty is concerned, tend to expand out a little beyond where libertarianism would touch, but it's uh, almost always informed by a libertarian philosophy um, and certainly reformed theology as well. Um, the other thing that I do is I teach online courses in critical thinking using the Socratic method, which is a form of dialogue. Um, it, there's uh, a, a form of learning also called inquiry-based learning, so they're very, very much similar. Um, so I have two web courses, uh, one called the Liberty Seminar, which enrolls every semester for middle schoolers, high schoolers, and adults. And then I have an ongoing course that my monthly members get access to called Guiding Critical Thought, which is actually teaching people how to use my method to, to teach others. So it's great for homeschoolers, teachers, um, basically anybody who's looking to uh, inspire critical thinking in others. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, a lot of useful resources, I'm sure. Um especially in the last two years with all the uh, COVID. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't say COVID that early in the stream. I'm going to get kicked <laughs> off YouTube. Uh, with all, of, with all of, the, of the cookie nonsense over the, the last cookie, two yeah. years, um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have been looking for more resources for homeschooling. You know, like we, we homeschool and we use like the Ron Paul curriculum, which I think is really good. But there's, you know, there's certain things that it doesn't really get into. That's more of a kind of a, a good replacement for, um, I don't know, like what the state is looking for. To yeah. kind of keep them off your back. But I think the kind of stuff you do is really, uh, really helpful for like uh, getting getting children and, and teenagers and even adults to kind of like, you know, um, you know, get their, their lives on track and sort of figure out how to, um, you know, be more more a active instead of passive and sort of like approaching life. Well, and if, if, if I may do a little bit of shameless self-promotion, I am currently registering for my Liberty Seminar for the spring semester, which starts very beginning of January. Um, so if anybody is actually interested in checking this out, they can go to mereliberty.com slash Liberty Seminar, all one word, um, or they can message me on on Facebook or send me an email. But um, yeah, I, the students who take it love it. The adults who take it love it. Uh, um, I, I have not had a, a bad review yet, so we have a lot of fun. Awesome. Um, you know, so what we're talking about today and it's, and it's sort of, um, it, it's hard to give it like a, a summary cause it's like, it, it's a lot of, um, moving parts and like different topics that all kind of connect to each other that I wanted to bring you on to talk about. Um, you know, to me, I, I'm just looking at things going on in our culture, like the, by the way, audience, you can hear my, uh, my two-year-old right now. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, try, try, hopefully not too distracting. Um, the, uh, a lot of things going on in our culture right now are, um, just, just making me feel like, you know, a, a lot of what is going on is that like the church is missing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of things where I just feel like, and it's like, you know, and, and everyone has their different solutions and, and, and feelings about like, oh, well, you know, uh, we're libertarians, we oppose the state, you know, the non-aggression principle, we, we promote the philosophy. And, and, and I think that's all important, but, um, but, I, but I also feel like sometimes we'll kind of forget the bigger picture and, you know, like, and I always forget the name of the actual chapter and verse, but that passage where, you know, like we don't fight against flesh and blood, but against 
of you know principalities and the forces of darkness and um and i just feel like you know we need to get back to as christians i feel like getting the church to be you know that 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 force in in the world kind of like that light and salt um mm. bringing light into darkness and and but then i have like a lot of feelings about why we've why, why the church isn't being entirely successful there and 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 like and it's to be fair i don't want to like you know i'm speaking in generalizations i'm not trying to speak harshly on like you know any individual church or people who are doing good work out there because there 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 is a lot of good and i don't mm -hmm. want to act like it's all bad but i feel like some of the worst uh advances of um tyranny and secularism and and like and um and and like the growing uh embrace of of sin in our culture is something that the church needs to be responding to more than I think it is. And I think a lot of it has to do with the topics that we, that, that, you know, I've had you on and I've had Greg on to talk about. Um, one of which I wanted to start out with kind of like highlighting again, for those who maybe aren't familiar with it, if they haven't seen those episodes is the, the concept of, of a uh, sphere sovereignty and, and sort of like, um, and this was, uh, you know, kind of a, out of the, the Dutch reformers, um, like like Abraham Kuyper, that this 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 idea kind of started to uh, be be developed. And I've had Greg come my show and talk about it very extensively. But maybe we can start out there about like you know what this concept is to sort of set the stage for as to like you know um, you know what role you know what roles that we have to evaluate the different relationships and interactions between people in our society and um, to, to just kind of start to dissect this problem. Yeah. So um, I will defer to Gregory on the expansion of this concept, but I'll just sort of read um, a few uh, highlights from our statement, uh, what is reformed anarchism. Um, so Sphere sovereignty is basically the idea that there are distinct communal or societal spheres. These are distinct kinds of communities. Um, and each kind of community is distinguished from other kinds by its, um, by its own intrinsic nature, differently characterized in its organization and purpose, uh, governed by its own God-given norms. So these are going to be things like um, the family, church, um, civil governance, the political civil uh, civil sphere, sorry, um, the commercial sphere, and and so on. There's there's a number of them, um, and so the idea is is that no single kind, so say the state, uh, regulates all others. Um, in this view of sphere sovereignty, each of them have their own God given norms. They govern themselves. They interact with one another, and where we um, interact, we we adapt to the the various norms. Um, but so so no single sphere governs governs all the rest, and no particular community within a sphere governs all the communities within that sphere. So in other words, um, you know, take the church for example. We we wouldn't hold to the the notion of uh, the Pope or the papacy being the, the higher, you know, that the, the monarch, so to speak, or the hierarchy, you know, the, the apex of the hierarchy over all the churches, um, that would also be a mistaken view of society. So, 
Each kind of sphere has its own particular function and its own kind of limited authority and competence directly ordained by God and not mediated by any other kind. So the authority that the family has is ordained by God and the authority that the civil sphere has is ordained by God and the authority that the church has is ordained by God. And those are all distinct right? The church can't order the family around and the state can't order the church around and and that sort of thing. So. Yeah. Yep. And, um, you know, we, we, we talk about like the idea of like, uh, of governance a lot in libertarian, uh, circles and, you know, it, it can be, um, a little bit confusing when we're, when we're, we're often railing against the government, but then we have to remember that like the, 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 the basic notion of govern of governance itself is not, unbiblical at all um right. and in fact really it's like governing is almost more um like i like to say governing is more of a it's you know more better conceptualized as a process or a verb than like a noun like it's not a a set group of people and different you know entities have different you know styles of government like um the type of governance that you're going to see in institutions that are administrating civil justice are going to you know vary uh in a lot of ways from the type of governance you're going to see within a church body uh, Mm -hmm. or within, you know, various church hierarchy or within relationships within the church. Um, So, you know, I think that, you know, framing it, uh, you know, through um, these conversations through um, sphere of sovereignty is really a helpful way to kind of start getting the brain to, to kind of think about these things in a different context than I think the way we're raised to think about these things a lot in, in our, in our society, I know, you know, one of the things that that I wanted to ask you about, you know, like, so um, obviously, like we're talking about like the distinctions between all these different types. And then it's like, if we're going to focus in on the church and like, you know, the relationships and the governing structures within the church, um, you know, maybe we should start out like, you know, with some of like the most basic relationships um, and, and what marriage is. Because um, I know, you know, that's something that I feel like you know, we as Christians often like to speak of the value of marriage, and and we like to to push back against what the world has to say about marriage. But then I feel like a lot of times Christians, we don't, you know, always have a lot of um, tools or weapons or uh, like, you know, like we have intuitions and life experience, but maybe not enough answers coming from scripture and from uh, philosophy to explain what the role of marriage is. And then also to kind of speak to what uh, you know, how marriage fits within the church and then also the roles of, of men and women within marriage. Um, and, and a lot of this stuff can, can be rather obfuscated because there's a lot of criticisms of, of these structures from, uh, from, from the secular world, you know, like, you know, a Christian marriage is a patriarchal structure where, where men dominate women. Um, but then there's sometimes the opposite, you know, reaction from for more pro- progressive Christians where they try to act like um you know well there's no difference p- between men and women at all and and they they uh you know the, the bible has says nothing about what kind of you know distinct roles they would play within marriage or within parenting so um you know w- what are your thoughts on 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 that as far as what the bible has to say to us about the 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 institution of marriage Well, the first thing that I'll say is that the institution of marriage is under the sphere of the family, not the church, Um, even though the church, um, a lot of churches believe that it's 
an institution of the church because conventionally it's a pastor um, or a minister of some kind that is um, marrying people off in a ceremony. They're the ones who are conducting the ceremony. But we would actually say that marriage is an institution of the family. Um, and we would look at marriage through the lens of creation, fall, and redemption. So first we would look at how God created marriage. Um, so, you know, he created this before the fall with Adam and Eve. Uh, he created it to be good. It was a union of one man, one woman. Um, it was for the purpose of companionship and uh, cultivating the earth. And um, it's a means of expressing and strengthening the, the love bond between the two. Um, it's the foundation for the family. And uh, I really, I'm really of the opinion that before the fall, it was about co-regency, um, co-regency between husband and wife. So you didn't have a rulership one or over the other that actually came as a, as a consequence of the fall, which I'll get into in, in a minute. And then one thing that I have found um, particularly useful to take note of is that Adam was given a wife by God. He didn't take a wife. Um, and that's interesting language uh, to me because uh, after the fall, you have uh, the first person to really take a wife, um, as, as far as we can tell, is Lamech. Um, and he really represents a huge distortion of marriage as a means of slavery. So by taking a wife, or rather several wives in his case, um, Lamech wasn't given a co-regent by God, but he took a woman as property um, in service to himself. And so um, that's how marriage became distorted in the fall. That's the sinful distortion of marriage where um, where the husband is ruling over the wife. And that's something that we read in Genesis 3.16. Um, there are some Christians who would uh, argue that Genesis 3.16 is prescriptive instead of descriptive. Um, and if your audience watched the, um, uh, if they've watched anything from Gregory dis describing things about Romans 13, he'll I'll talk about the differences between the two, but essentially, um, what I what I would hold to is that Genesis three sixteen is describing what the consequence of the fall was, which is specifically mm -hmm. that a man would desire to rule over his wife. Um, and uh, at any rate, and then we have marriage redeemed. So this is uh, post Christ and his resurrection. This is New Testament. Um, Christians now should really see marriage through the lens of redemption. Um, that is that redeeming this co-regency of husband and wife from the sinful distortions of the fall into sin. And, um, you know, this, this way that Lamech ruled and more broadly, just an authoritarianism in general is antithetical to the Christian view of marriage. Um, so I would say that, um, Things like patriarchy or even matriarchy. There are matriarchal societies. Um, they're just <laughs> fewer than the patriarchal ones. Both the patriar patriarchal view and the matriarchal view would be um, an authoritarian 
uh, kind of marriage. It's, it's, well, I'll, I'll get into that a little bit more in a minute, but in the new Testament, the sort of go-to passage for marriage is Ephesians five. Um, and this, the, the focus tends to be on Ephesians five twenty four, which talks about the wife's submission to the husband, uh, quote in all things. Um, but in order to understand the context of this passage, we really need to understand the surrounding passages and, uh, you know, isolating any text is completely unhelpful and often results in eisegesis, which is a false interpretation of scripture. Um, so if you go back to the beginning of Ephesians five, it starts out with a therefore, which means we have to look at the previous chapter in order to understand the context. So if you look at chapter four, um, chapter four is about protecting and upholding the unity and diversity of the body of Christ. Um, so for when we get to chapter five, this is all in the context of um, maintaining the unity and diversity of, of the body of Christ. It's, it's all in that context. And so we read in the opening chapter of, uh, excuse me, in the opening paragraph of chapter five, that Paul calls us to imitate God as dearly beloved children. And this is interesting to me, and I point this out in my courses, that human beings learn first by mimicry, by copying and imitating. And this is most obvious in children, but adults do this too. So like if you're learning to cook a new recipe, you know, or, or a new kind of, um, you know, a, a new kind of meal or whatever, you're going to look for a recipe. You're going to look for somebody who's already done it so that you can copy it. Um, so Ephesians 5.1 is really the re religious grounding for this idea that uh, for the empirical fact that we learn first through mimicry. Um, then throughout the chapter, Paul lists uh, a number of sins to avoid because we are living in the light of Christ. Um, and so Paul ca calls us to be consistent, uh, quote, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. And that's Ephesians 5.21. And what's interesting about this word fear, um, <clears throat> it's the Greek word phabos, uh, which can mean fear and terror, or it can mean reverence for one's husband. Now, I can imagine that the way um, Lamech ruled over his wives, it would be in fear and terror. But since Christ is not a terror to the redeemed, um, and this passage is using the picture of Christ and his bride, it's probably more appropriate to say that submitting to that it's submitting to one another in reverence of Christ. So this is all the context leading up to the relationship between husband and wife. And it's providing um, some context for wifely submission as reverence for the husband for the sake of unity and diversity in the body of, uh, of marriage, of the marital love bond. So the other mistake that Christians, especially conservative Christians, tend to make is to focus solely on the analogy between uh, Christ and his bride, and they don't draw the distinction with the disanalogies. So I'll just go over those uh, really quickly. Um, where 
where Christian marriage, human marriage is analogous to Christ and the bride is this, the husband is the head. That's what um, Ephesians says. The husband is the head, just as Christ is the head. The wife is the husband's body. Um, the church is Christ's body. The head is supposed to love the body as he loves himself. That's a reference both to um, the husband's self-love or self-respect. Um, and it's also an allusion to uh, in the intra-Trinitarian intra love, that is God's love that he has for himself. Um, but where it becomes disanalogous um, is that men are not identical to Christ, right? They are not their wife's savior um, or mediators between her and God, um, nor are husbands sinless, right? So, and women are not identical to the, to the bride of Christ. Um, men are included in the bride of Christ. So when we're talking about wifely submission, it's going to be the same kind of submission that um, any Christian man has to Christ. Um, so the bride's submission to Christ is predicated on Christ as the sinless Messiah. And that's, you know, a, a wife's submission to her husband isn't predicated on the idea that her husband is, is a sinless Messiah. Um, and there are some mistaken views about that, especially in the patriarchal circles or the strong complementarian circles. Um, and that's where I would say that uh, distortions of, of these verses come into play. So men and women are simultaneously part of the bride of Christ and imitators of Christ. Um, but we're still finite and imperfect. So we're going to make mistakes. We're going to screw up. We're going to sin against our spouse and have to repent for that. Um, so this is the, the context for understanding what the wife's submission is. And I guess before I get into that, maybe I'll throw it back to you so that you can maybe ask a few qu questions. Yeah, no, that was all really um, enlightening. I mean, I think, you know, these scriptures are really tough and it's, and, and you're right, like people often like to take a lot of these passages in isolation and not go go further back in the text and try to read the context into them. Um, I mean, and yeah, I, I want you to, yeah, go more into, I mean, you know, wh whatever else you have to say on that. I mean, as far as like, you know, especially like where you think, you've kind of already started to go into this, but like where we've, where the church has really missed the mark as far as like what, um, and, and like, you're right, by the way, like within the, the uh, spheres of sovereignty that, you know, marriage is an institution that falls within the sphere of the family, but the church is the institution that teaches about marriage. And I feel like that causes like, if, and if they're teaching, if their teachings on marriage are wrong, it's going mm -hmm. to, cause a lot of damage and you know i grew up seeing a lot of damage caused by the church um i, I saw women in my family like you know um you know as, as a child who were um told to stay in you know abusive marriages that they you know should not have been forced or co coerced into to staying in and um you know and then and but at the same time i think Christians are are desperately trying to like you know 
talk about marriage and and profess it to be an institution of value because they they feel that it's under attack. And mm. so it's like we we definitely need to I think you know we we have to start you know coming up with the answers of what the Bible actually says on the subject. And I think you're you're definitely right. And I, I guess it's like I, I on you know like we are to submit to each other as husbands and wives and um and at the same time like those analogies kind of do if you take them very literally they're kind of bad because you're right men are not christ <laughs> yeah and and we are also the part of the bride of christ and so we we have to you know like so those things in mind you know like you know what are other things that the church is getting wrong and then like what what are the distinctions of the roles between men and women within marriage as far as like um the ways in which that they're you know like, like or, or even i guess i need to even just like be be careful not to even try to uh be be too quick to suggest that they have to be different my intuition is that that the roles would be different but but i don't want to necessarily automatically assume that this is as much a, a conversation where i hope the audience learns as i'm trying to learn too um but uh what what are your thoughts there like what are the roles that they serve and are they different and if they are different, in what ways are they are, are they different? Yeah. So there's there's a oops. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Okay. I'm sorry. My mic just glitched. Okay. So um, a couple of things. I think one major mistake that conservative Christians in particular make, um, and I'll get to liberal liberal Christian Christians in a minute, but one particular mistake that is made by the uh, complementarian view. Um, is to model Christ and the bride after human marriage. Um, and that's that's the exact opposite of the way it's supposed to be. In fact, this mistake has actually led to um, some complementarians trying to redefine what constitutes the Trinity, and they have um, even entered into uh, to a very old heresy. I forget what it's called. Uh, I think subordinationism or a variation of subordinationism. So we have to be careful not to, um, you know, create God in man's image. We need to, we have to maintain the proper orientation of those things. So Christian marriage is modeled after Christ and the bride, but because we are finite because we still live in a fallen world, because we can still sin, we have to understand that that analogy is not identical. It's providing a model for us, um, and that's helpful and good, um, but we need to make sure that we aren't reversing the model and making um, making Christ and the bride in, in man's image. Um, I want to touch on this issue of wifely submission because, well, before I do that, I wanted to mention the mistake that liberal Christians make. The mistake that liberal Christians make is to just flatten out gender dynamics, to flatten everything out and make everything um, equal such that it's like a blank slate. Um, and that almost denies or comes close to denying the very important distinctions between men and women. Um, but where the arguments are, are where those are, are what those distinctions actually are. And that's where you get into questions about roles and things like that, which I can touch on in a second. But I wanted, I want to 
talk about what this wifely submission is, because um, I do think that you're right. There is some um, overreach of the church when it comes to marriage. There's also overreach of the state when it comes to marriage. But the the most often quoted bit of Ephesians when it comes to this subject is Ephesians 5.24. And uh, it's this little bit that says, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Now, taken in isolation, that really sounds like wives are supposed to submit to anything and everything the husband claims authority over. Um, and as you mentioned before, this verse, when taken out of context, um, is used to justify denying the very human dignity of the wife. It has led to um, churches supporting things like marital abuse or marital rape, abuses of all kinds, um, emotional, spiritual, physical, um, and also compelling obedience to sinful demands. Um, and so understanding that there has to be a line drawn in the sand. We we can't actually say that this uh, submission, quote, in everything is actually everything. Um, incidentally, this happens to be the same error uh, as the statist in interpretation of Romans 13, which allege alleges that we're called to submit to the state in um, in everything that it claims authority over. I was I was thinking exactly that when you were yeah. going, but I was like, it's it's almost like in the same way that people assume that uh, that the authority that the that, that governing authorities would have over people is absolute is just as wrong as when they assume that like the husband's uh, authority when the wife's called to submit and like you're not like like in the same way we don't have to submit to laws that would go against God's law we don't have to you know a wife doesn't have to submit to her husband if um, he is violating God's law and what he's doing to her or asking her to do. I guess mm -hmm. that is 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 kind of like the parallel there. Yeah, well, um and you know, it, the the husband also cannot violate the woman's Christian liberty, which I'll I'll get into in a minute. But, you know, the the mono the monopolization of power under any sphere is is authoritarian. And that is antithetical to scripture. So the monopolization of the of the civil sphere is the state, right? The monopolization of marriage um, comes by way of patriarchy or matriarchy. Um, that is the the usurpation of authority that is not ordained. Um, one thing that I think is really important for people to understand, you know, libertarians, anarchists sort of get pegged as having very little respect for authority. And I don't think that's true at all. Because authority is necessarily limited by God, as soon as it goes outside its limitations, where it has no jurisdiction, and it it doesn't do a good job, it wreaks havoc, it's, it's a problem. As soon as... Uh, a legitimate authority oversteps its bounds, it delegitimizes itself. And so the person who's saying that the libertarian or the or the anarchist who's saying, no, there is a there's a very limited view of this particular authority, we should keep it within its bounds, that's actually a very high view of authority. 
because yes. they're recognizing that there is a legitimate authority and we don't want to delegitimize it by having these um, these illegitimate claims on things that they have no authority over. So the monopolization of, of unordained authority is actually a sinful usurpation and that can happen in any sphere, whether it's the family or the church or the civil sphere or education or business or, or what have you. So the other bit of context for Ephesians 5 is also Galatians chapters 4 through 5. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Because we are called by God in Galatians uh, to not actually submit again to the yoke of slavery. So we're, we're called as Christians to submit to each other as to the Lord in Ephesians 5. And in Galatians, we're told, do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Well, hmm. what is the yoke of slavery? Well, it's a form of, uh, in the context of Galatians, it's a form of works righteousness um, through the Mosaic law, which has already been fulfilled in Christ. So Christians are also called not to submit to a works righteousness. Um, we are to voluntarily render love and reverence to our spouse um, as it's uh, imitating or mimicking Christ and the bride. And the other thing that's important to point out, um, because husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church and also as they love themselves, Christ is not an abuser. He's not an, he's not a manipulator. He's not an authoritarian, at least, in, you know, he, he doesn't compel our reverence or obedience through coercion and punishment, but instead gives us new life through his loving kindness and gentle teaching. Um, you know, we use the word discipline, which the, the common usage of that word is very closely associated with punishment. Um, I think discipline is much more aligned with gentle teaching, although gentle teaching can still uh, come with unpleasant experiences. Um, but Christ wasn't an abuser. And so husbands who are being abusive or wives, for that matter, it's important to point out that wives can be abusive. Um, we're, we're not to abuse. We're not to manipulate. We're not to be authoritarian. Um, but to revere each other in loving kindness and gentle teaching. So what does it mean for a wife to submit? Because that's the big question, right? Right. Um, the wife would recognize the analogy of the, the head by way of Christ as her husband, and also the body by way of the bride of Christ as herself, as the husband's body, not as a property claim, that's not what this is. It's it's not a property claim, um, but as a love claim. So her submission is a reverence that results in an emotional connection that stems from his love for her as equal to the love he has for himself. There's, uh, I would say that this actually produces a cycle of mutual affection where the expressions of love are uniquely male and female expressions. Hmm. Um, and there's there's no time to really get into that but the way husbands right. love their wives and the way wives love their husbands is going to look somewhat differently yes um now i also wanted to touch on um 
something about gender roles. A lot of people associate patriarchy or complementarianism with with traditional gender roles. The idea that you know the husband goes out and is the breadwinner, and the wife stays at home and manages the home, and raises children and that sort of thing. There's actually nothing wrong with that per se, as long as it's entered into voluntarily and for mutual benefit. Um, I was, in fact, I had a, a post on my Facebook page a couple weeks ago that got some got some people riled up, and it had to do with whether or not, um, or it had to do with the fact that homemaking, the the concept of homemaking, is really just adult taking care of adult responsibilities. And my whole point in making that post was to say, husbands are actually homemakers too. Now, one of the people who commented said, well, um, my wife actually manages the home. And I, I said, well, when you do, you know, your honeydew list, you're still homemaking. And he said, yeah, but she tells me what I need to do. Um, and so this is interesting because that is not the patriarchal view. Another commenter who was patriarchal said that whatever he told his wife to do, even if it was making a sandwich, was creating a new law for her to obey. That's what patriarchy is. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's not traditional roles. Um, so this going back to this other commenter who said, my wife manages the home and when something needs to be done, some maintenance thing or you know, paying the bills or, or whatever those traditionally male things are, um, you know, mowing the lawn or whatever, um, being Mr. Fix-It. He says, well, my wife will find things that, that need to be done and she'll tell me you need to do this. So she'll be giving him direction and he submits to her. And what was interesting, we had a little back and forth and finally he came back and he said, you know, I asked my mom about this and she agrees with me. And I just want to point out that having traditional roles is not patriarchy. And I'll tell you the reason why. Because this commenter was submitting to his wife and appealing to the authority of his mother. And that's not what patriarchalists do. So there's nothing wrong with having traditional, uh, you know, a, a, a division of labor such that it sure. reflects traditional roles. Um, it becomes a problem when the husband is ruling over the wife, that is, that is not marriage redeemed. That is not co-regency. Um, I'll say one last bit. Um, I had, I've recently been listening through a book that discusses how good re relationships get rocky and what to do about it. Um, and what I'm about to describe, I would not advocate for people who are in abusive relationships. It would totally backfire, but for healthy relationships that are just on the rocks, um, this author describes something called a fear-shame cycle. And it occurred to me that this fear-shame cycle, so the a woman will experience fear as a result of her insecurity and then react in some sort of way that actually elicits shame in her husband. And what this does is it actually um, disconnects that that emotional connection, that love bond. And it occurred to me that um, it, it occurred to me that this fear shame cycle is actually the antithesis of how Christians are to love each other in marriage. Um, 
healing a marriage caught in this fear shame cycle appears to be a matter of returning to the biblical model of love and reverence for each other as expressed in um in ephesians uh, tw- uh excuse me 521 and expanded upon in 22 and following so there is definitely a way that things can go off base um even before like it doesn't have to be abusive right away um it can turn abusive if it's not addressed but um it's important to know that uh, a, a christian marriage is about the love bond it's not about ruling over each other it's not about monopolizing power it's not about letting the church dictate to you how your marriage is going to be run it's not about the state dictating you to you how your marriage is going to be run yeah no i think that all makes sense i mean i'm trying to i I always try to like when i hear explanations like you know put it back in my own words to to try to see if it like i'm understanding it correctly but what, what i was kind of thinking when you were giving your explanation is sort of like it's almost like um you know husbands and wives like you know when, when, when we're in in marriage and we're trying to like and, and we're saying like you submit to one another like you almost have to um i don't know i guess kind of like earn that submission in a way that's just like i mean it's like if if i'm being a good husband then uh and and serving my wife well in that role then she's going to submit to me and i unto her and that'll happen naturally as opposed to like if you take that submission to be at any point that you have to rule or apply coercion, you, you've you've uh, warped the the actual teaching of of what submission is. Right. Like, well, again, our our model is is Christ. So, right. um, Christ and the bride. So, uh, the scripture says that we love because God first loved us. Right. And so, in this, I wouldn't necessarily say that. Uh, this submission is, is earned. Yeah. I guess that's not the right word. Um, Yeah. But the idea is, is that you're, you're giving expressions of love to your spouse and that is fueling this sort of cycle, this, this mutually beneficial cycle. And it should flow rather effortlessly where, where things get messed up is I think, um, it, and it's probably not reduced to this, but one area that it can get messed up is where in that cycle, fear and shame start entering into it, where the woman starts getting afraid of losing her connection. And then that feeds into the the shame that the man feels, and that does end up losing the emotional connection. Um, and that sort of results in like a downward spiral that if you don't if you don't address it, it becomes a problem. So yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say it, it's earned, but they do, I think, feed on, on one, on yeah, one another it, it, and create it's like a reciprocal right. response. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's not earned. It's just like, it's like a, well, I guess it's more like you can't approach it as if you're, if you're approaching it as if like you're automatically entitled that like, oh, well, my spouse is just going to bow and listen to everything I say because they're supposed to that's not a healthy approach. And it's the same with love. Like love is something that like, if you, you know, you, um, like this is something I, I remember like when I was going through premarital counseling that my pastor talked to 
my wife and I about, which is very similar to this, which is like, you know, um, you know, if you're waiting to, you know, you know, pour out love to your spouse because you feel like they're not loving you the way you deserve to be loved, you know, just like you, you brought up, like, that's not actually mimicking Christ in that, in that, that, that instance that, um, actually sometimes very often in life, you know, cause we're fallen, we're going to not be acting in ways that are, you know, maybe worthy of love, um, yeah. or it's going to be hard, hard for us to love one another, but that's when we need love the most. Um, but, I, but I've also, but then it's like, I've, and like, so this gets to like, like, I, and I think that's so true. Um, but I guess like the only danger there is like some people, like I've seen some people, when they're in those abusive relationships, just say, Oh, we'll just love them more. And it's just like, well, <laughs> it's like, I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah there's, say, a, there's a line there. I would say abusive situations are, are definitely different. Right. And you, um, you did say that you said this would this wouldn't necessarily be advice you give to someone in no. an abusive relationship. Um, in, if, if, yeah. An abusive relationship is where one, one party has learned how to manipulate the other in a very chronic way. Um, that's where abusive situations occur. Um, and yeah, there's an, there's a sense of entitlement. There's, there's a sense that, you know, uh, love has to be earned. I will say, um, and maybe, maybe this will, um, allow us to move on a little bit, but I did an episode, a podcast episode on my own website, uh, my own podcast called dare to think about what Christian love is. So your listeners might want to go take take a look at that. They can find that um, on my website. Yeah, I'll we'll definitely plug that in the show notes. I mean, I think, you know, would you agree with like what I'm like, my analysis is that this is part like our error in this subject and in relationships is um, and, and how we make these errors is at the root of, I think, a lot of uh the problems in the church and why, like, I feel like the church has lost a lot of respect, both um, from believers and non-believers alike. I mean, I feel like, um, you know, even like, I feel like if the church was doing its job more, like it's never going to be perfect, but I feel like if they were more hitting the mark that even the non-believers would be able to go, well, I don't believe in God, but I I, I can't, you know, I, I don't, I can't speak ill of the church because you know, they do good by their communities and they lead people into happy, happy lives and, and happy relationships. And again, I'm not saying that never happens, but it seems to me a lot of the time that um, uh, there, there are a lot of problems. And sometimes it feels like we're we're not addressing them both from a doctrinal perspective, but also like people are not willing to talk about a lot of these problems in the church because it's messy and it makes the it's like it makes the church look bad to talk about you know whether there's scandals and you know i mean there's been some pretty high profile scandals over the past year there was like uh was it uh ravi uh ravi zacharias yeah which mm-hmm. was you know which i mean that was that that was rough it didn't get kinda... it didn't get dealt with till he was dead yeah i mean yeah uh, yeah i mean just and and the level of of depravity that that you know you heard from people who gave testimonies and and a lot of a lot of people didn't want to believe it and didn't want to believe it um but then it's in the context of then like things that are happening happening in secular culture that we feel like there it's almost like an overcorrection things like like the me too movement and stuff where 
it becomes less about healing and finding ways to be to bring men and women together in more healthy relationships and it just it's becoming more like a um i don't know the right word um like a cycle of revenge i guess you know what i mean and sort of like feminism is almost like the goal of modern day feminism is not uh to stand up for the rights of women and to help them uh advocate for themselves but more like we have to take we have to strike back against the patriarchy and take revenge and put women at the top now so it's like yeah. well it's just a that's just you know flipping the tables and cr making the same problem in reverse so yeah well in incidentally i have i i also have a podcast episode called what is feminism in simple terms which um i think demystifies what what feminism is in a helpful way um you know i think ultimately the problem has to do with um a lack of knowledge on ordained authority um it you know so yeah. lack of understanding about what authority god has ordained to the church you also have a problem with parachurch organizations which ravi zacharias's ministry was a a parachurch organization um those those organizations are basically flying without any of the um biblically ordained forms of authority which is a huge problem and i think has has fed a lot of a lot of um problems in the church that we're seeing now um, but I do think that it's this uh, lack of knowledge on ordained authority, who has ordained authority, what are its limitations. And because we have a lack of knowledge there, we have a tendency, um, a, 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 tendency a tendency as a result of the fall to become authoritarian, right? Mm -hmm. We see problems um, and we ex expect those in the in in authority to take care of it. So it's very easy to look to the state um, and say, you know, the state should solve this XYZ problem, whatever it is. The state should uphold the sanctity of marriage so because it's under attack. Um, by the way, I don't think that marriage per se is under attack. I think it's always been distorted. And Christian marriage has always been uh, the the minority, uh, the, the salt and light. Hmm. Um, so... Yeah. You know, what, what we're seeing is just um, the manifestation of the abandonment of traditionalism, right? Cultural traditionalism, which is that 1950s, right. you know, nuclear family, how, you know, housewife and, and breadwinner husband and that sort of thing. Um, and that, that frightens people, right? And when yeah. people get frightened, they, they start using force and coercion uh, illegitimately, and, you know, heck, maybe there's a fear shame cycle there too, but there's, mm. there's a lot of parallels between the problems in families and the po problems in the church and the problems with the state. Yes. And I think that the other problem, um, that we haven't ta talked about that I think I can touch on real quick is, um, the matter of divorce. Um, one very popular, uh, conception, um, of a scripture in the Old Testament, Malachi 2.16 um, is phrased in most uh, most modern translations saying that God hates divorce. And this has led, now what's divorce? Well, divorce is this, this breaking of the bond, right? Um, and 
I, I'll just, I'll mention briefly that the person that I learned this from, her name is Gretchen Baskerville. She wrote a book called The Life-Saving Divorce. Um, and she points out that um, relative to church history, going all the way back to, you know, the original manuscripts that we have, for most of history, Malachi 2.16 was not uh, translated or written as God hates divorce. Um, there are three modern translations that translate it correctly. Um, by the way, the the first incidence of the phrase God hates divorce came with the King James version of the Bible. Um, so Luther's Bible didn't include the phrase God hates di divorce. The Geneva Bible didn't include that phrase. Um, none of the manuscripts going back before that included that phrase, not the Septuagint, none, none of them. But there are three modern translations that translate it um, uh, this way. So the NIV translates that verse like this. The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. The ESV, which is favored among Reformed and, and Lutherans, um, reads, Let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. And then the Christian Standard Bible, which is used by a lot of Southern Baptists, um, maybe the more liberal ones, <laughs> um, it, it translates that verse this way. So watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously against the wife of your youth. If he hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord God of Israel, he covers his garment with injustice, uh, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore... Watch yourselves carefully and do not act treacherously. So it's quite telling because none of those translations and none of the translations before the KGV said God hates divorce. They didn't say that. What God hates is, uh, in this case, a man who abuses his wife and then divorces her. So a man who's being abusive is divorcing, breaking that bond. And that's what God hates. And the reason why I went through all of that explanation about what marriage is, is because understanding the proper context of the picture of marriage between Christ and the bride um, gives us an understanding as to why what God hates here is not div divorce per se, but is the abuse that leads to mm. the break of the love bond, the, the marriage right. bond. Um, and why would that be? Well, because we are reflecting the image of God as image yes. bearers, number one. Number two, our Christian marriages, redeemed marriages, are reflecting Christ and the bride. And what is Christ, Christ and the bride but a very visual representation of the gospel? Yes. So when husbands or wives, wives can be abusive, but when spouses are being abusive to, their, to the other spouse, they are doing violence to the gospel. Yes. And so I want to point this out because, again, this has parallels 
in the church and with the state, there's abuse that happens in the church. You are allowed to leave your abusive church. There's abuse that happens in the marriage. You are allowed to leave your abusive spouse. There's abuse that happens in civil governance. You're allowed to, you should be allowed yeah. to, to leave <laughs> that, that relationship. Um, God does not condone abuse at all in any sphere. And I think that's really important. There, there are these parallels that we need to pay attention to. And I think at least for me, at least for me, sphere sovereignty has, has really helped clear a lot of that up. Yes, it has for me too. And I just feel like we have to, you know, like th this to me is where the heart of like the, how, how we fight the culture war and, and too many Christians are just wrapped up in, 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 reacting to the left reacting to secular culture and what we like that's not how we're taught to to, to fight like i like, like i mentioned earlier we don't struggle against flesh and blood and and especially like if we're getting it wrong at home well we need to get our room in order we need to um you know set the doctrines straight about what the church is teaching about marriage about what parents are teaching their children about marriage and what to expect in relationships and what to tolerate and what not to tolerate. So there's, a, there's definitely a lot of accountability for, uh, you know, within the, the sphere of, fa of families and families need to, if they see abuse in, in relationships and stuff to, to speak out. Um, and um, yeah, marriage shouldn't be a, uh, an institution of coercion to trap people in the name of, in the name of, you know, like, I don't know, like, like of, of not disobeying God, I guess. I guess that's kind of yeah. how it breaks. Well, it's, it's, it's really bad when Lamech did it, but Lamech wasn't a believer. It's, it's even yeah. worse when Christians do it because it's yes. spiritually abusive. It's doing violence to the gospel. Um, yeah, for, for sure. Uh, Gosh, yeah. I was about to say something else and I completely forgot it, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it comes back to you, feel free to interrupt me because um, sure. I know that happens it happens to me on, on my show all the time too. Yeah, um, it's, it's annoying. Um, but yeah, I just like um, and like and I'm involved like I'm in the Macy's Caucus and I do some political activism and 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 I'm not saying that stuff is unimportant, but I just feel like especially as Christian libertarians, we have to put the work of the gospel and the work of being light, uh, light and salt before any of those other things. Go yes. Ahead. And I actually remember what I was going to say. There's uh, a verse in scripture. I'm fairly certain. And I didn't look this up before, <laughs> before I came on, but I'm fairly certain it is the last verse of Romans 12 going, you know, uh, into Romans 13, which says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yes. We, yep. we combat evil in the world through Christian love. That's yes. how we do it. It's completely counterintuitive, um, but that's how you do it. Because if you try to combat coercion with coercion, um, even though there's, you know, some legal justification for, for doing so um, in a measured way, even that's uh, the, the proportional def uh, response and self-defense is still a measured way, right? You, if you, respond if you over respond or overreact in self-defense then you're just committing another crime right so um we are called to love our neighbor as ourself we're called to um revere and submit to one another in the church um we're called to overcome evil with good and 
uh, and that's through Christian love. And so I think that's that's very important. That's incredibly countercultural. Um, it's it's more countercultural than anything else, and it's not. I mean, well, I, I'll just point your viewers back to, uh, or your listeners back to my episode on Christian love. Cause I draw some more distinctions about that. Yeah. How do we, um, you know, part of this equation definitely needs to be, you know, getting things set in order at, in our homes and our churches and our family, um, our families, but you know, um, how do we also then, you know, uh, engage in the world and, and, um, you know, like, when we when 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 there's when there's injustices um and and the the world points to the church and points to abuses that have happened um you know and and then you know uh, and then also you know when when people are very uh like like a lot of secular culture is very um like i wouldn't say there's a war against marriage but there does seem to be a a a battle you know in in secular culture to become even more secular and to make mm -hmm. and to and institute and to use the uh the state uh as a weapon to sort of like um you know push their life their their uh preferences and views on gender and sex and marriage in and to codify those things in law and and yeah. christians want to you know oppose that but sometimes i feel like they don't realize that like and this is something that I've uh, had some people disagree with me on, but I think that at least part of why that's happening is blowback for really centuries of Christians kind of doing the same thing, like, like putting like the yeah. church putting, um, you know, the not even correct the, 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 uh, the very um, muddied and distorted views of biblical marriage and codifying them into law. Um, yeah. And so that's not to say we should just like, you know, roll over and say nothing about what secular culture is trying to do. But um, if we continue to just fight back in this dumb culture war of fighting over the ring of power, we're, you know, not going to make any progress. Whereas if we, um, if we could figure out how to like, to me, it's like if the church can regain some kind of legitimacy and, and part of that legitimacy has to come from, um, being able to uh, speak with moral integrity, and, mm -hmm. and I feel like sometimes the church doesn't the, the church doesn't have a voice because they uh, again I'm not speaking in very general terms here, but like the the church doesn't have a strong voice because it's so um, engaged in 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 false teaching and in mixture and in overlooking abuse. So if we can overcome yeah. that and actually engage the culture with with the gospel message and and showing people that 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 our teachings and our ways work better. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to figure out exactly how, what question I was trying to ask now. But basically, I, it's just like, um, yeah, I mean, like, do you see that same thing that that, that I see as far as like. I think I, yeah, yeah, I think I get, I, I think I get what you're saying. I would say there's a couple of things. Number one, the church's job is to preach the gospel. And part of that is um, the message that this world is passing away. And the thing that we are looking forward to is the coming kingdom. Now, so that's paramount. Yeah. As far as, you know, the church's legitimacy, the secular world will never... 
the non-Christian world is never going to recognize the Christian church as legitimate because they're sinful, fallen sure, humanity. Sure. Um, so we have to keep that in perspective. Um, so the church's job is to preach the, the gospel. Our job as Christians is to love one another and to love our neighbor because um, God acts through us as a means of reaching, um, you know, reaching other people. Um, and that certainly has an impact on our culture. So, you know, we're, we're also not, we're also not isolated from the culture. We're not so set apart that we're not involved in the culture, but what we are doing is, um, being that salt and light such that we're sharing the gospel and we're saying, you know what? Yeah, this, this, this world is hard and it's sinful and, but it's also passing away. And the good news is, is that Christ is coming. Um, and, you know, all, all, all sinners who believe on Christ will be saved. And in the coming kingdom, those who are saved get to experience no more pain, no more tears, no more suffering, no more abuse, no more oppression, none of these things. That's what we look forward to is the second coming. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I agree. You know, there's certainly, you know, there's always going to be people who rebel against God and who won't recognize the church. But um, the, the 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 more, I guess, like the better we're uh, doing at following Christ, the more Christ's light can shine through us, which yes. will draw more people. And when we fail to do that, we like, like I think you put it very eloquently when you said it's like we're we're doing damage to the gospel. When, yeah, we're, when, we're we, do when we're doing a bad job on these things. Yeah, we're doing violence to the gospel. Yes. Um, that is that is our sin. If if that's what we're doing, right? That's what we have to repent of. Now that repentance comes individually. Right. Um, there's not really a corporate repentance, I don't think. Um, I could be wrong on that, but I'm fairly certain it's an individual repentance. Um so you know, as far as Christians are concerned. You know, if they want to start being that salt and light, you get into the word, you get into church, a good Bible believing church, um, and you start sharing the gospel, you start being salt and light, you start loving your neighbor, you start um, overcoming evil with good. And the aim of that is not necessarily to change the culture, although it can, but the aim of that is to um, gather all of Christ's elect to himself so that the, you know, at the second coming, we get to experience yeah. uh, heaven and, and life with him, with Christ. One, one final question I'll have, which um, yeah, I know you made a post about this too, and it, it's kind of tangentially related. What, what do we teach to our, our, our youth, teenagers and, and young adults, as far as like, um, what the Bible would say as far as a part, like even like a, like uh, finding someone to marry and dating. I know this is a very, and Ooh. obviously like we can't, like this is near the end. So like, we'll have to give yeah. like a very brief answer to it. Um, but I know this is, you know, something that's also um, a very controversial topic within church circles sometimes because people have different views. Um, you know, I remember, I remember as a kid, I was given that Joshua Harris book. I kissed dating goodbye which is um uh and and then that guy um uh, has walked away from the faith so mm -hmm. 
you know, some of my, some of the, the problems that I had with that book kind of like, um, I don't know. It was kind of like when he walked away, I was just kind of like, yeah, that wasn't too surprising to me. Yeah. So that comes from a, uh, something called purity culture. Yeah. And, um, I, I don't have too much to say on it because it didn't impact me the way it impacted a lot of people. Like I know of the book that Joshua Harris wrote, but I never read it. Um, I would point your listeners to a podcast called Theology Gals. They did a number of episodes on purity culture. You can just go to their website and uh, do a search for, for purity culture and a number of episodes will come up. Um, I think those are very good. But the short answer to your question about what what the Bible says on dating, uh, it doesn't say anything. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it doesn't say anything. Um, you know, that's not to say that you can't date in a Christian way. You most certainly can, right? Um, we're, we're not to have sex outside of marriage. Um, you know, we are in that dating process learning how to treat each other well and um, looking for signs that uh, of of toxic behavior or abuse. We want to be able to avoid that. Um, actually, if I had one piece of advice that I would give your, your listeners is if you want advice about dating, uh, your kids need to learn how to spot manipulation and, mm. and abusive tactics. Because uh, one thing that I learned about it um, is that uh, it's, like a, it's like a cheap magician's trick. Uh, as soon as you understand how it works, the illusion is gone. But before that, it's it's a mystery. You know, nobody really understands how it works. Um, so teach your kids how to spot that. Um, and that will go a long way to, uh, in the future, mitigating these these marriages that are winding up in, in divorce over abuse. Oh, yeah. I think that's very true. Or, or even in marriages where there's maybe not like um, abuse, but there can be very toxic unproductive communication and a mm -hmm. lot of times i'll see you know and 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 i've even had to you know my wife and i have gone through you know both premarital counseling and then you know counseling as we matured and had kids and we've had to recognize that like there's a lot of times where we can you know either our like ourselves be engaging in um manipulation or not be recognizing manipulation in uh, and people and it's not always malicious it's just like it can be mm -hmm. um you know it's it, it can just be like uh something that forms very um uh, like like subtly over time yeah and, and a dynamic in relationship that that's very toxic but that you don't recognize how you got there yeah and 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 part of overcoming that is learning effective communication communication um and and problem solving and and kind of things you talk about in your course, like examining things, asking <laughs> yeah. questions and uh, yeah, approaching them from that, that sort of angle. Yeah. I, I will say in my, my course for the adult seminars, I have a two part, uh, two part lesson on manipulation, how to, how to identify it and how to respond to it. It's a very cursory um, sort of introduction to it, but um, there's a lot of, you know, critical thinking is uh, really about, improving your own thinking. We tend to think that critical thinking is about, you know, criticizing other people's ideas. It's not, it's, it's about self-reflection and, um, you know, thinking about your own thinking and also thinking about how 
your thought processes are influenced. And so we do have, I do have two, a two part lesson on, on manipulation. Cool. Well, I'm going to put as many of the links to the things that you shared in the show notes then after, um, you know, I just want to put up the audio portion of this, but, um, but um, thanks again, Carrie, for coming on. I think it was a, sure. a great conversation and I think there's a, these are important topics to talk about in our church and culture. So um, go ahead and plug, uh, you know, all your stuff before we get out of here, as far as your, your page, podcast and any, you know, the, I know you already talked about the, the, uh, the classes you do, but if you want to plug that again or any other projects you have going on, going on. Sure. So all everything that I have done uh, can be found at mereliberty.com, including my courses. Um, I do also have monthly memberships. Uh, if people want to support the kind of research that I'm working on, you can find that on my, uh, my about page. Um, my podcast is called Dare to Think. I am trying to get it more uh more consistent, um, but there are plenty of episodes up right now, including uh, what is Christian love and what is feminism in simple terms. I even have one on there that was uh, interesting about uh, the question of women deaconesses, and it had to do, you know, it has to do with that question of ordained authority. Oh, um, yeah. That's something that I've got. I was asked yeah. this on a podcast the other day, my view on women in leadership in church. And I was like, well, this is kind of what I believe, but I haven't done a deep enough dive into that subject. So I might check that. that yeah, check it out. It's, yeah, check it out. It's really interesting. I spoke with um, my pastor's wife, who is a Lutheran deaconess, um, but in the Lutheran church, they're not ordained. So they go through, she goes through and explains what that means. And, um, and I talk about the, the Presbyterian view. Um, but I also have all of my, um, uh, all of my work on abortion, um, my debate with Walter Block. Uh, that's probably the stuff that I'm more famous for. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you can find that at mereliberty.com slash abortion. All of my abortion stuff is there. Yep. And uh, for those of you who haven't watched it, I also have a conversation with Carrie from last year um, that was earlier in my podcast. I think it's episode seven, but check that one out too if you haven't, because that one we got more into those topics of abortion and that debate. So, um, but yeah, um, I guess that's it. Thanks everybody for watching. And uh, thanks again, Carrie, for coming on. Thanks for having me. This was, this was fun. Thank you. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.